Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud. And on this show, we and our guests will discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Returning to Dr. Doctor today is Glenn Stanton. He's Director of Global Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family. Recently, he wrote an article called The End of the World as We Know It, question mark. In it, he examines the claims that global warming will lead to the end of civilization and that more people on the planet will make life less worth living. Does he agree with that? Spoiler alert, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tom, I've got to start with a bit of a confession um, to you and to our listeners, and that is I find this topic very difficult. Um, for a variety of reasons, but it's very, it's tough to get an open, honest discussion. And I can't wait uh, to have Glenn on with us tonight on this uh, because he's both of those open and honest, not to mention very, very smart. But I struggle, I think, with the topic because um, like some of the things we learned with COVID-19 and the pandemic, I think far too often when we're discussing this in the public forum, if I feel this way about certain ideological things, then I must feel this way about climate change and global warning. Uh, and those aren't always, aren't always correct. And I find no. that very frustrating. You know, we found that with the pandemic, it is possible to think that the pandemic is a big um, lethal threat to civilization as we know it. And it's also possible to think that some of our government's decisions were not optimal. Um, you can have both of those opinions at once. Um, but, it, you know, everything I seem to encounter on this topic of climate change often comes from the various authors' ideological persuasion, and it's inherently biased. And it's very tough to find a balanced discussion on the topic. It's that immediately the science seems to get packaged with a predetermined one-size-fits-all political response. And really, they're two different things, as we've learned again with the pandemic. um, You know, policy is the combination of science and the values of the community. Science doesn't dictate policy directly. So that's where we're trying to split this. It's like, you know, as Catholics, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. Well, let's see what the science is and then look to see what policies will have what effects on people. And we want to look at global warming because there are certain uh, comments made based on whether or not people are good for the planet and whether or not global warming is harmful to public health in a, a broad spectrum. So that's how we can bring it into a medical show. Uh, and you but- know, I, I actually, if we have no environment, if we have no planet, um, that's, I think you'd call that a public health problem. That would be, that would be. <laughs> That'd be the ultimate pandemic, wouldn't it? And, and again, I'm probably exposing some of my own biases, but I don't know of any serious thinkers who would argue that our climate is changing. Um, Now, we should do a little vocabulary alert. Often people use uh, climate change and global warming interchangeably, and they really shouldn't be. Climate change would be the primary thing, and global warming would be subsequent to the climate change. Um, they, They shouldn't really be used interchangeably. But I don't think there's any really serious thinkers who say that. Now, um, that seems rather objective, but what's changing um, is, what's difficult is why is the climate changing? And has it done this before? Is it part of a natural ebb and flow? Is there anything we humans can do to make it better or or worse? And of the things often proposed, uh, what among them are evidence-based? What among them are more likely to work? and work net of the ill effects on humanity that could be caused by the solutions themselves. Uh, Another thing that I think we and our our listeners have learned during the pandemic is sometimes the medicine can be as bad as the disease itself. If not worse. Uh, Correct. And I think I've stuck my head in the sand so long on this because it seems like the science was always packaged with this almost uh, totalitarian ideology behind it that we must do certain things, and these certain things are going to have a lot of bad downstream effects on human beings. And Glenn, I think, is the first person I read that led me to say, okay, what does this, the science, what does the research say? But there are actually are other voices of what can be done and what it means. 
uh, even if the earth is getting warmer, there are some good effects. And actually, we shouldn't probably try to spend all of our money on carbon credits. And Glenn will probably get into that. I'm sure. Uh, but it, uh, but I, I look forward to this because he's somebody I trust, and I think he'll give us a good balanced perspective. You know, I did a dive uh, on the internet today, as we all do reflexively when we're interested in a topic. And just looking at, uh, you know, search engine optimization is an interesting thing. But one of the very first things I came across was a very well done, obviously well-funded website from an organization called Population Matters. Um, and they start off, why population matters? And it says, all our environmental problems become easier to solve with fewer people and harder wow. and ultimately impossible to solve with ever more people. Uh, and it, it just got worse from the, from, from the front My page goodness. on. But it went on to say... I don't uh, think we're going to be linking them on any website we develop. <laughs> and this is, I mean, listen to this, listeners. Today... A child born in the U.S. will produce 160 times more carbon emissions than one born in Niger. We can achieve sustainable global population through better forms of family planning and better empowerment of women. Um, that, that sounds rather Orwellian to me. Yes, it does. Uh, and then I look to our friends at an organization that we've referenced before, uh, and, and listeners, you should look them up. It's called Per Square Mile, and it's a fascinating little world population exercise that says if you took the roughly 6.9 billion people that live on the, on the earth today, could you put them all in one city based on a certain density? So for example, um, you could put the entire world um, in the state of Texas, if you lived at the density of New York City. Now, I personally wouldn't like that. Um, but uh, there are many it's people that live in like New York Star City. Wars planet Coruscant, that city planet. <laughs> but there are plenty of people that live in New York City who think that I'm crazy and that would be just fine. But imagine that the entire world would fit in the state of Texas. Now, some of our listeners who may be from Texas, they already think the entire world lives in Texas. <laughs> That's for another episode. But, you know, it's, to wrap this up, it, it's a difficult issue. Um, it's filled with ideologues and biases. And we really have to pause and try to listen carefully. Um, and are the things that we're listening to, are they taking us away from God's word uh, or towards it? Because we know that he doesn't trick us uh, and we know there's no gotchas uh, in God's word. So I'm really looking forward to this episode. And before we get to our guest, Glenn Stanton, we have our patented medical trivia question of the day. The category is how to save millions of lives at 50 cents apiece. Mm. So in 2010, a scientific article uh, called it the most important medical advance of the 20th century. I bet a lot of things run through your head. <laughs> this treatment contains three ingredients found in any home and costs today in 2021 about 50 cents for each life saved. Think about that. Estimates suggest that between 1982 and 2019, over 70 million lives have been saved worldwide with this simple treatment. So it's a two-part question. First, what disease is, it, it, are people being rescued from with this treatment? And number two, what are the three ingredients in this potent and inexpensive cure? You'll have to wait around to the end of the show to find out the answer, but we'll be back after the break here on Dr. Doctor with our guest, Glenn Stanton. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor from the virtual studios of Redeemer Radio. In this episode, we're joined uh, by a familiar friend to most of you listeners, uh, Glenn Stanton. Now, Glenn is the director of global family formation studies at Focus on the Family. And his list of accomplishments is far too long to read, but he has a bachelor's in philosophy and communications uh, and religion and a master's degree in philosophy, history and religion from the University of West Florida. He talks to everybody and anybody that will listen about issues of gender and sexuality and marriage. He's the author of nine books uh, and is a senior contributor to the Federalist blog. Among other things, he's written a terrific book called Loving My LGBT Neighbor, Being Friends and Grace in Truth. Glenn, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. It's good to be with both of you doctors today, so thank <laughs> you for having me. 
We're happy that you chose to spend some time with us uh, and with our listeners. Now, we think of you as an expert on all things gender, but Glenn, what in the world got you interested uh, in global warming? Or in other words, what's the link between global warming, also known in many cases as climate change, and your work at Focus on the Family? Well, that's a good question. And it's it's a whole different sort of um, area for me because I was interested in this question of, I mean, we've been hearing it over the last couple of years from politicians and Hollywood types of, you know, oh my goodness, we've got only got seven years left. We've only got 12 years left. And what that means for people like us is stop having babies. You know what? Humans are a problem. And that is the answer to the future is stop having so many humans. So my interest is not so much in global warming or the environment or things like that, um, as much as it is in these little things we called God imagers, which are new babies. And, you know, this push that we're seeing against people of faith like us and family people to um, not have more babies, to have fewer babies, that that's the responsible direction. So I wanted to look into this question is, is it irresponsible for us to be procreative individuals? And it was really fascinating, and that's what we'll talk about, is to see what I found out. Glenn, I admit I have been slow to accept um, whether the temperature on the earth is going up or not, because it seems like if I were to believe that, I was supposed to also believe all these other policies that seemed antithetical to human flourishing. So if we can separate out politics from science, and I believe it is possible, with God all things are possible, what does the best evidence say about whether the earth is getting warmer or not? And then if it is, why? Well, it's interesting. I mean, in terms of we, we talk about climate change, we talk about global warming. And, you know, the question that I look at in my research is not even so much just is the earth getting warmer or not getting warmer? It it, it just hit me. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a climate scientist, so I'm not, you know, fully versed in this kind of stuff, but I can go read the people who do these things. And I thought, why not look at some of the leading indicators of just human well-being and thriving? Like, um, is our air getting cleaner? Is our water getting cleaner? Is our threat, our, our, our human threat of environmental death um, from, you know, cataclysmic sort of things. Is that getting better? Is our food getting better? Are we getting more of it? I mean, basically looking at the things that we need to actually live, are they getting better or worse? And that's what I did. And, and the data on it is, one, it's very robust, but the story is very, very good, which we'll get into here. So do you believe that the earth has gotten warmer over the last decades? You know, I think clearly, um, you know, it's easy to read a thermometer, you know, I mean, it is, but it's the question of why and to what end. Okay. Because so it is getting warmer and, and that's what I have found too, but it's not as, as bad news as so many people want to paint it. And I think that's what you're going to tell us. Now, many kids are being scared now. There's something called climate anxiety out there. Did you come across that, that we're really doing a disservice to our children by planting these great fears about the earth getting a little warmer? Yeah, actually, Lancet did a, a special um, report last year, I believe it was, and they, they issued a call to action to medical professionals to try to respond to, and if we can tamp down this this growing climate climate anxiety and they have been creating what they call climate anxiety indexes and especially for young people i mean they're constantly bombarded with you know what i mean the end of the world is coming it used to be the weirdo religious people that talked about the end of the world <laughs> but, now it's, but now it's the environmentalists and the medical professionals and psychological professionals are telling us, like they did at Lancet and other places, that it really is having a demonstrable negative impact 
on our kids. So, you know, I gave a talk recently uh, at an all women's college, uh, and I was pretty attacked by a young woman in the audience. And I know she's not a listener, um, but she told me that speaking of this climate anxiety problem, that the reason the birth rate is down, she admits the birth rate is down. The reason the birth rate is down is because couples are not having babies because they're so depressed over global warming. Uh, And that the desert that exists between the Midwest, where Tom and I live, and California is there because we've destroyed the environment. Um, She became very angry with me when I pointed out that desert probably pre-existed um, you know, all of us and any other life forms. But there is, there is this sense that um, it is doomsday. The, the planet is dying. The only hope is to enjoy the few minutes that you have left. And for, for heaven's sakes, don't have any babies. Well, it's interesting, Christopher, because I mean, and you're exactly right. I mean, when I speak on college campuses, I see these same things and like, okay, you know what? Um, dear, I mean, I've spent the last year researching this very deeply. Um, what have you done? You know, it's just <laughs> it's young people today, unfortunately, just like I have a mouth and I have a right to use it. And so whatever comes out of it must be legitimate. But it but it is remarkable. And I got in in this article that I wrote in Quillette that, you know, that we'll be talking about here. The pushback that I got from it was how in the world can you say these things because it is contrary to everything that I'm saying or or everything that I'm hearing. And, you know, my point is exactly. (laughs) That's why you wrote the article. (laughs) Yeah. Go look at the data itself. I mean, I provide the links, I provide the graphs, I provide the charts and, you know, we're not saying that everything is hunky dory with the environment. But the fact that we only have a decade or more before the environment just, you know, takes this downward plunge, there's just the, the data says everything, not everything, but, but most of it is just absolutely yeah. contrary to that. Let's conclusion. go into the data. One of the sources that you referenced, and I've been listening to this book on tape, is called False Alarm by Bjorn Lomborg. What should our listeners know about some of his high points? Well, it's interesting. There are two guys. Bjorn is one of them, and Michael Schellenberger is another guy, and they have both written these books. And and these these two men, I mean, they're dyed in the wool environmentalists. They're they're committed, and they have been feted by people on the left on you know people who care about the environment, people who listen to these guys because they can help us change the world for better. But both of them. Um, Lomberg and Schellenberger both are saying this environmentalist crisis, this catastrophe kind of talk is just irresponsible. They say, yes, we have work to do. Yes, there are problems that need to be solved. But they actually say and and, and document very well in their book, Lomberg's book, False Alarm, and then Schellenberger's book, Apocalypse Never is the title of it. They both (laughs) say that in many ways – the environment is getting better, that things are actually improving. And here's the big thing, that they're improving not because of environmentalism activists, but because of technology and industry itself. I mean, the case that they make is absolutely counterintuitive to what we're hearing, but it is a compelling case. I dug into it. I looked at their data and they are absolutely right. In fact, there's just wonderful sources explaining very carefully why they're right. So air pollution, indoor and outdoor, getting better, getting worse. Well, okay. So you ask that question and we think, well, gosh, it's getting worse because whenever we see a news story on air pollution, they show us the factories pumping stuff into the air. But um, there's some people at Oxford University, um, they do what's called Our World in Data, and it comes from the Oxford Martin School at the University of Oxford. And they're tracking all the significant indicators of human well-being and thriving. And air pollution is one of them that they track. And they tell us that Over the last 50 years, air pollution has largely been cut in half. 
that literally the air today that we are breathing, we're breathing easier. And in fact, it is decreasing in industrialized nations and it is still largely high in non-industrialized nations. It all has to do with cooking. It's not factories. It's not big industry. It's are we cooking over gas stoves or electric stoves? Or are we cooking over wooden stoves? And those people that are cooking over wood, I mean, they're breathing that stuff in and they say, as the world develops and we're moving away from wood burning stove and things like that, that air pollution is decreasing, that deaths from air pollution are like, you know, cutting, cutting in half. That is a good indicator that's moving in the right direction. You know, we probably can't say this too many times, but Tom and I mentioned it at the beginning um, of this episode. You ought to be able to say that and not be immediately labeled as an anti-environmentalist. Uh, I said something like you just said uh, recently at a talk that I was giving, and uh, someone afterwards said to me, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that you hate the environment. You seemed like a nice person earlier. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but to be able to say this is an objective truth does not mean that you you have no no concerns about the environment. We have to be concerned about the environment. It's the only one we have. But we don't have to be led astray um, by by science gone wrong, do we? And the irony there, Christopher, is is I'm bringing you good news. You know why? Why are you telling me that I hate something when I'm telling you good news about it? You know. It's like, Christopher, you're looking better than I've ever seen you look before. Why don't you care? You know, no, it's, 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 and it's the kind of the nuttiness that we have today and the ideology, if you will, that we've bought into surrounding the environment and what, you know, good, reasonable people think and don't think. And we really need to challenge that, that the research, the science itself um, tells a very different a message than the doomsdayers are All right. Human health. We got cleaner air, less lung disease. Okay. What about water? I mean, the, the planet is growing up over 7 billion people now. Are we running out of clean water? Well, see, that's the other fascinating thing is that from about 1990 up into today, that access to clean water across the earth has increased about 68%. Roughly, and, and again, these are the people at Oxford that, that study this kind of stuff. They say that generally over the last 25 years, nearly 300,000 people a day have gained access, new access to clean drinking water over the last 25 years. And that's only increasing as of late. So our water is getting cleaner because we're, we're caring for it better. And access to it is increasing across the globe. So Even that is getting better. As important as water is the food that goes along with us. With it, if we listen to the, the, the climate alarmists, we would think that there's going to be less good food available. So with this increase in temperature, do we have less food? Well, see, that's what the Malthusian, you know, proposition told us is that as more people grow, there's going to be less food. But actually, this data shows us that we are growing more food today than we can even consume. Now, we have a distribution problem. We're not distributing it as we, we would. But malnutrition around the earth it really everywhere on earth is decreasing significantly, some places more than others, but malnutrition is decreasing around the earth. And food production is increasing tremendously. In fact, we are told that we're told in 2012 that we grow enough food today to feed 10 billion people. We only have 7.8 billion people on the earth today. And here's the cool thing. Not only are we producing more food than we can consume today, it is healthier food and we are producing it on less land 
than we have in a long in in decades. So this is more good news. And then natural disasters, you know, the the inconvenient truth movie genre, you know, shows more images of natural disasters hurting people leading to more injuries and deaths. What does the data say? Well, again, um, what we find is that um, deaths from natural disasters, nature-related deaths, have declined about greater than tenfold over the last century. And I have a chart of that in my article. I mean, nearly all deaths from all natural disasters, floods, extreme weather, extreme temperature, landslides, earthquakes, volcanic activity, drought, wildfire, those things, every one of those are declining significantly. And deaths from those are declining significantly. So what we see is that the earth is becoming a safer place for humans to live simply because we are adapting to it better. In this website, Our World in Data, this is not by some conservative think tank at all, is it? No, 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 no. This comes from um, the Martin Oxford School at Oxford. Um, I mean, these are our leading people. And the cool thing about it is you can, it's all online. You can go look at their interactive graphs and data and charts and things like that. And they track this information and it's phenomenal. And there is, is, you know, for, for information nerds like us, it's a dangerous place to go because you can just <laughs> stuff there looking at all the charts and graphs and all the information that they have. And largely they're telling a pretty good news story. You know, you're going to have to stop with all of this good news. Um, <laughs> you're running the risk of being canceled. You're going to be eliminated from the Internet and social media. Um, you know, what examples can you give uh, our listeners of, of experts, that is, saying that because of global warming and all of these things, human beings should really not exist as much or we should procreate less than we do? Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, we see it all the time. In fact, you know, just last year, somebody erected what they call the climate clock in Manhattan. And um, it's this clock. It's it's like this um, digital clock. And it's set at about seven years and it's counting down to the an inevitable time when when climate cataclysm will just be irreversible. And, and again, you, you can go there. It's in New York City. The media has reported about it. And they have that set at about seven years from now. And, you know, so we hear, I mean, um, AOC, she's another one. We have, you know, um, Greta Thornburg, that teenager from Sweden who, you know, is the teen activist. And then you have you know, all these names in Hollywood, um, Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, all these others constantly warning us that, you know, we are killing ourselves, that we are destroying ourselves. And it's interesting because they get all the oxygen in the room. People listen to them, but unfortunately, they're, they're lacking facts. They're lacking data. And this brings us to a good uh, pause point here before we go into the next half of the interview on Dr. Doctor with our guest, Glenn Stanton. Welcome back to the second half of our interview with Glenn Stanton. Glenn, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is typically associated with work contrary to a Catholic view of human flourishing. They supported research on the political and economic consequences of a shrinking population, which is proposed by some environmentalists. This was published in 2020 in the journal Lancet. What did these researchers say would be the impact on the earth of a shrinking population? Well, it's interesting because we have to back up a minute and and, and look at this data. This data that was published in Lancet this summer, I think it came out in June or July, um, they were looking at what is happening with the population. And they were fully funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And we know that, you know, the Gates Foundation is more on contraception and, you know, decreasing the population. But what these demographers found out, now, first of all, I mean, they know and we know that the UN themselves, the the population people who study these things at the UN, 
they know that the population, that the global population is declining and that it's a serious thing. These demographers working from, um, you know, 24 leading demographers from around the world, they say that the declining population is actually worse, more negative than even the UN thought that it was. And they really started ringing the alarm bell pretty significantly. In fact, the BBC said in reporting on their research, said that their research indicates a jaw-dropping global crash. What they were finding, these, these 24 demographers, was that the population decline is actually more dramatic than anybody previously realized. And again, these are researchers doing this research funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They're not conservatives. They're not Christians. They're not, you know, they, 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 they're just, Gates hired the best people in the world to be able to study this. And through more sophisticated demographic kind of work, they came to realize that, yeah, things are not looking good at all. In fact, um, one of the main scholars who was doing this research, um, he re his name is Christopher Murray. He is the director of the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington School of Medicine. He says that what we found, he said, I found people laugh it off. They can't imagine that it could be true that humanity could just disappear. They think women will just continue to have more kids. But he said, if we can't find a solution for our increasingly declining population, then eventually the species will disappear. This demographer is telling us that it's not the environment that's going to do us in. It's our own laziness, if you will, at procreating, of reproducing ourselself that is going to do us in. And, and we can go into this a little bit more. Isn't it ironic in a strange twist that many environmentalists would argue that human behavior is the problem? And in this data, we could say, you're exactly right. Human behavior is the problem. It's a different behavior, though. They're suggesting we not procreate. And then this data is suggesting the absence of procreation is, in fact, the problem. That's a, a strange twist of events there, isn't it? Well, it is. And it's a turning of what we know to be true absolutely on its head. Mm. That it's, you know, we're going to do ourselves in because we're consuming too much. We're growing too much. We're innovating too much. And actually, the best science coming to press this summer these demographers are telling us no. It's it's not in what we're doing. It's what it, it's it's in what we're not doing. So and connect the dots, Glenn. What is it about decreasing population that would be bad for us human beings? Well, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Um, to put it in very stark historical perspectives, um, these scholars that were funded by the Gates Foundation and and doing this demographic research, they said. Um, and I'll just cite from their data. They said there were um, worldwide, there were 25 births for every person turning 80 in 1950. That's a healthy demographic dividend. That means there's plenty of people being born to support the rest of us that are getting old. That was in 1950, a 25 to one differential for old and young. Now, in 2017, that ratio shrunk from seven to one. For every person turning 80, there were only seven babies being born. Now, it's not so healthy, but these 24 Gates demographers explain, quote, in, 2000, in 2100, we forecasted one birth, for every person turning 80 years of age. That's on wow. page uh, 1297 of their study, that in, 20, in the year 2100, for every person turning 80, there will be one baby born. And as I say in the article, you do not get to the future by that kind of demographic ratio. These guys are freaked out about it. They're saying 
if 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 this trend continues, um, humanity will just start to decline significantly. You know, I think we can virtually guarantee that our listeners are not going to hear what you just said on CNN. Um, and, and in fact, Tom and I were sharing some uh, data from the internet, looking at growth rates, as we mentioned, to, you know, 18 billion in the next 70 years. So the people that are presuming that we're growing too rapidly have access to the same data. Is this just scientific um, and academic disagreement? Is there malfeasance? Um, why can we not agree on on the science, right? The science is supposed to be so objectively true. What's behind such stark differences in interpreting the same data, do you think? Well, that's a good, good question. I think a lot of it, and, and we know it, it all comes back to worldview, to mm-hmm. what it is we ultimately believe and what is ultimately motivating us. Now, all the data that I present in this article, none of it is by any conservative. Everybody here are more progressive, they're more liberal, but it's it's just the way that you look at the data and looking at it separated from the, the hyped up passion of the politics. Um, I think a bit of it is malfeasance. I think a bit of it is worldview. I think a bit of it is is a religiosity, if you will, of a message of, no, people are bad and we need to stop having more people and have less people. And again, it's it's just it's a very persuasive case. And we'll talk about this more in just a minute that that actually people are good, not morally good, but they are productively good. More people make the world a better place. I mean, well, let's move into that, Glenn. Our last 10 minutes here. There's some good news from an actual Nobel Prize winning economist called endogenous growth theory. What's this about good news from an economist? Yeah, this guy, Paul Romer, he is he's just a hardcore nerdy economist. He, you know, <laughs> he crunches numbers and things like that. Um, and he teaches at a university in New York, New York University, actually. And he won, um, shared the Nobel Prize in 2018 for something that he developed with another guy called endogenous growth theory. And it's interesting. I'll, I'll start with the end. When he was giving his talk in Stockholm after receiving his prize, I watched the talk one night. It's online and I've got a link to it in my article, but he is explaining why Malthus is wrong and why not more people mean less resources, but why more people mean more resources. And he says that is because that Malthus saw humans as consumers, wholesale consumers. But Paul Romer in endogenous growth theory came up with a way to explain that humans are more creative, innovative, and productive than they are consumers. So he said, endogenous growth theory explains why we have more wealth, why we have more prosperity, why we have more food, why we have more money, why we have more everything at the time when our population is exploding itself. Because, and he says at the end of his Nobel Prize talk, he says, ladies and gentlemen, all this to say that on the whole, more people are better than fewer people. He's making the case from an economic point of view that people are a blessing, if you will, to the world, that they produce, that they create, that they innovate, that they're not just consumers. And so I love um, Professor Romer's angle on this. And again, you know, he's not a conservative, not a Christian. Um, He is just coming at this from a mere economics point of view and explaining why as you know, we know as Christians in Genesis one twenty eight, God says, go forth and multiply, that going forth and multiplying literally is the prescription for a progressive and humane future, not less of that. Wow. Maybe said differently, internalizing the wisdom of the book of Genesis is the answer <laughs> for, no, a better, that's exactly right. for a better future. Uh, well, one of the things that I, I like 
is that you show that one of the problems with the uh, the population alarmist, the global warming alarmist, is that when they say, oh, this these many people are going to be underwater in 50 years, well, they never say, well, these people can move a few feet inland too. In other words, human beings adapt to changes. They don't just sit still. That is exactly right. And that's where that, that the deaths from um, environmental cataclysm, from wildfires and things like that, that's evidence that we are adapting better to the world. We are learning how to live better on the world. And that is because we are, people are innovators. You know, we solve problems. And the babies not being born today are not going to be the one to solve the problems and innovate the the issues and struggles that we're going to be having in the next 50, 75 years. One of the things Romer points out is that resources have rivals, but ideas can be share and multiply. And those new ideas, that creativity comes from more people. Now, what is one of Romer's favorite examples of the power of codified ideas? I love this simple thing that has saved so many lives. <laughs> yeah, he um, and it's one of his students that talks about it. But it's this idea, this this explosion of ideas. I mean, you know, if you have a hamburger and I don't have a hamburger, you and I are going to fight over the hamburger. <laughs> if you have a recipe for how to make a hamburger you can write that down and give it to me and I can take it off and, and do that. And he talks about um, rehydration therapy that, you know, one of the ki- things that has killed more human beings is, is, you know, in diarrhea and things like that. Right. The, the loss of, of liquid. Right. There was somebody who came up with an idea of, you know what, just mix a couple of these things together and give this to small children who have diarrhea. And guess what? It rehydrates them. What was replicable, if you will, was that they could just write the simple recipe down and share it and they could take it over to the next village. And it didn't cut into anybody else's resources, if you will, it just used resources that everybody had. So what Romer is talking about is the the sharing of codified knowledge, if you will, basically writing an idea down and saying, take this back to your village and do the same thing. And it can make your life better as well. That is power. That's human ingenuity. Glenn, is there any society in the world that has reduced a declining fertility rate? And what does it mean to you at Focus on the Family? Well, it's it's at Focus on the Family. I mean, the cool thing is it means that we're involved in the work that is actually going to help save humanity, you know? And the Catholic <laughs> Church is involved in that as well by saying, go forth and multiply. And, you know, populations decline and they ebb and they flow. But when it when a population gets below a certain point. It's, it's, it's like an airplane in, in nosedive, you know, it hasn't hit the ground yet, but it just simply cannot pull up. It doesn't have the momentum to be able to do that. And that is what these demographers, these 24 demographers from the Gates Foundation are talking about is we could get to this point where, you know what, we're going to hit this, this, um, nosedive of of fertility that we're not going to be able to pull ourselves out of. And that's dramatic. But here's the cool thing is it hasn't happened yet. We have the future in front of us. We can create a better future by, I mean, I love it. Uh, Russ Douthout, he wrote a, a wonderful piece making the case that if every couple, if every family just had one more child, just one more, I mean, it's a reasonable sort of production. And these demographers would say it would go a long, long way to preserving, not only just preserving, but enhancing humanity and human well-being. People do matter. People are a blessing. And more people are better than less people. Well, Glenn, I can't think of any better way to 
to put this episode to bed for our listeners and finishing with people do matter. <laughs> Thank you so much for your wisdom and sharing this information with us. Um, there's so many more things. I, I have to think about an example that Tom and I had on a, it's been many episodes ago where one of our guests was talking about sort of the, um, the, the deforestation, if you will, of Europe. Um, and particularly he was talking about Poland and Sweden, um, that there were just no children, that the schools are empty and the playgrounds are empty and universities are being repurposed um, for other other things. I mean, most of us today really like literal examples that we can go see and touch. Um, and I can see what I think is unbridled growth in my own community, but I can go to Europe and see the, the opposite of that. Uh, can you think of other good examples for our listeners that they can they can look at and see that our population is shrinking? Oh my goodness! I mean, you know, one one interesting example was I was talking with somebody from Italy. Italy has this mm. problem, and they're like, you know what? I never see prams on the street, strollers, you know, mm. with little babies. I mean, that is that is a significant cultural indicator. You know, so what can we do, Glenn, to reverse it? How can we because governments have tried to reward people with tax rebates, money hasn't worked. What do you think will work? Well, that's the big sixty four thousand dollar question, of course. And and I really do think that um, it, it has to be a change of thinking that we have to realize that our duty to the future is not to not have kids. It's to have kids and to help people understand why that is, because it is so put into our mind that we're being irresponsible if we have more than one child, maybe if we have more than two kids, but it's actually responsible, that it's actually serving the future, that it's helping our kids, it's helping the future, it's helping our elderly to at least have at least, you know, three, four children in that way. And so it's a change of thinking. So to, to, to end this, where can listeners find your article? Um, at Quillette. Quillette is a wonderful online publication that is publishing kind of, you know, people that are saying things like this that are a little bit outside the mainstream. That's spelled Q-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. And the name of the article is The End of the World as We Know It, question mark, just like the REM song. Glenn, thank you so much for being with us on Dr. Doctor. God thank bless you. you. Well, and welcome back to Dr. Doctor from the virtual studios of Redeemer Radio. And you seasoned listeners know it's time for the answer to our medical trivia question. Tom, take it away. But basically, what are the three ingredients that are saving lives at 50 cents a piece? And what is the disease? Now, this time you got the answer in the show while you were listening. Just the a disease. few moments ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Due to good old Glenn. And that is diarrhea. Diarrhea worldwide leads to millions of deaths every year because especially children can't keep enough fluid in their body. So that's the disease. What are the three ingredients? Salt, sugar, and water. Salt, table sugar, or table salt, regular old sugar, and water. Just that mixed up. You know, a, a simple recipe is one quart of water, three quarter teaspoon of table salt, two tablespoons of sugar. And that is enough to save a life of a child with diarrhea. Amazing. A trip to your grandmother's cupboard can save millions of lives from malaria, more than that are lost to malaria, diarrhea, uh, and HIV combined. Remarkable. It, it, it's uh, it's incredible. So, Chris, our top three takeaways for this episode with Glenn. That's really tough because Glenn had some great things. I feel like we could do four episodes at one time and not finish uh, because <laughs> he had such a great wealth of, of information. In um, but one, I think, will make our Old Testament scholars happy. And that is the idea that some of the most sophisticated cross-disciplinary science that's emerging in academia will tell us that mosaic wisdom, that is to say the wisdom of Moses, uh, to go forth and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is precisely what we need uh, to correct some uh, of the problems facing humanity today. Isn't that beautiful? 
Um, and two, I would say our worldview affects our worldview. Um, and I think Glenn said it perfectly, but it really does boil down to wor worldview. And looking at the same information is so affected by our view of the world and of, of human flourishing, as you pointed out, and that opinion is not science. So just because there are articles on the web that say we're growing too fast and we need to shrink does not mean that the science supports that. Um, so uh, those are our top three uh, from what I think has really been a great discussion with Glenn. Thanks for being with us for a, a little bit of an unusual topic for us here. But, you know, broadly speaking, um, the environment, the climate and the population affects public health in a major way. So thanks for being with us for this episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association brought to you on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And do us a favor and share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend and invite them to listen to the show on their favorite podcast app. And be sure to rate and review our show, if you will, because it helps other listeners find us. Be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, and we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.